Welcome to City Harvest Sermon Podcast. Coming up is a word from Pastor Aris Zukanayan. Now, church, to start off the sermon today, I want to just very quickly and go straight into the main message. And that is, I want to begin by reading Genesis chapter 37. Now, when you and I read Genesis chapter 37, you and I know the story of Joseph. And the Bible says that Joseph was a dreamer. At a very young age, God had a call in his life and God spoke about his calling and about his purpose in life at a very young age through his dreams. So that's why Joseph was called a dreamer. And he had great dreams for God and for himself. Now, when you and I read the story of Joseph, you and I can identify with him. Why? Because you and I, like Joseph, had great dreams for God and you and I have great dreams even for ourselves. How many of you can say amen? But as you and I begin to serve God, you and I begin to have this idea about the dreams that God gives to us. And the idea we have is this, that the moment, gave us, the moment God gave us a dream, we anticipate acceleration of the fulfillment of that dream. We think and we expect that God will clear the way for us to achieve that dream with no or very little obstruction. But you see, little did Joseph know that his brothers were not supportive of his dream. How many of you know that when you and I have big dreams for God, not many people around you or even your close friends will be supportive of your dreams? Why? Because they're jealous of Joseph. So in fact, they're so jealous that they hated Joseph and went all out to stop his dreams from coming to reality. So let's pick it up, Genesis 37, verse 18. He says, When the brothers saw him afar off, before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. And then they said to one another, Look, this dreamer, so they even have a nickname for Joseph, call him a dreamer, is coming. Come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit. And we shall say, some wild beast has devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. But verse 21, Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into the pit, yes, but don't kill him. How many of you know that when the devil has a plot to kill you or to destroy you, God's providence is always upon your life. You may fall, but you shall not be utterly cast down. And just because you may fall into a pit, that doesn't mean that your dream will die. Someday God will take you out of the pit and you can become the person that God has called you to be, right? Let's give God a big round of applause. Amen. Always God's providence is upon your life and upon Joseph's life. So verse 23, came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit. And the pit was empty and there was no water in it. Can you imagine Joseph's life at the beginning of Genesis chapter 37? Even as early as verse 3, you can see Israel loved Joseph more than all of his children because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a tunic of many colors. Joseph, at the beginning of chapter 37, is at the top of the mountain because he was the favorite son. And the Bible says every year, the rest of the brothers, the father only gave them jackets from H&M. But for Joseph, he will be given a special jacket from Dolce & Gabbana. You can imagine the jealousy, the hatred that the brothers have towards him because every time they look and compare at each other's jacket, one is an H&M jacket, the other one is a Giorgio Armani jacket. And the Bible says that he's not only a favorite son, he is adored. And you know what? Like most Christians always say, the favorite term of many Christians today in Singapore, he is blessed and highly favored. <laughs> he is blessed and highly favored. That's what it is. Joseph, at the beginning of chapter 37, he is sitting at the top of the mountain, blessed and highly favored. But it didn't take long because at the end of chapter 37, the Bible says he ended up in a pit. He had a major setback when it seems that life is going on well 
and looked very promising, acceleration towards his dreams. He experienced a major setback. His jealous brothers cast him into the pit. In other words, he went into a pit stop. In other words, he went into a pit stop. In the pit stops, his dreams got delayed. He got stuck in a pit stop. Somebody say with me, pit stop. Now, since it's F1 weekend, let's just relate a little bit, right? Today's sermon with what's happening outside Suntech. You know what? In every F1 race, there is this thing called a pit stop. And a pit stop actually is a very inconvenient place. It's so inconvenient that most drivers, you and I know, the strategy of every team is that you need to limit the number of pit stops. If you can reduce and limit the number of pit stops, you stand a chance to maintain your lead and ultimately win the race. And that's practically about our life. When God gives us a dream, we want full acceleration towards that dream. And our strategy is this, Lord, please give me as little pit stops as possible. If possible, no pit stops so that I can just go ahead and win the race. Now, pit stops is a very inconvenient place. It is an inconvenience. But let me tell you, to you, it may be an inconvenience. But to God, it is a necessary inconvenience for you and I. You know what? In motorsports, a pit stop is necessary because it is where a racing vehicle stops in the pits during a race for refueling, new tires, repairs, mechanical adjustments, and even a driver change sometimes. And even in road trips, when you and I go for a holiday, pit stops are necessary because it grants the travelers to refuel a bathroom break, lunch break, dinner break, or a chance to just take in the local scenery. So while we view pit stops as an inconvenience that will slow down our pursuit of success, or even a downer, that pour a wet blanket over our dreams. The fact is this, we all need pit stops in our life. The fact is, sometimes God will allow you to go through a pit stop so that you and I can last the distance and to ultimately finish the race that God has given to each and every single one of us. You see, church, without a pit stop or without God sometimes allowing you to go through a pit stop, Sometimes you will quit your dreams abruptly. Why? Because you will end up running on empty spiritual tanks or even on worn-out life tires. Or worse, you are having burnout engine. You see, that's why most dreams are achieved by persistence, not just by performance. How many of you can say amen? Most dreams are achieved by persistence, not just by performance. It will not be a full acceleration ahead, but sometimes it requires persistence. It requires you to not give up. Now, that's why, like what Pastor Phil said a couple of weeks back, when God gives us a dream, He will bring you through a process of time. He will bring you through a journey so that you will eventually become the person that can fulfill that dream. Not... God immediately gifting you that dream, gifting you the end result of that dream immediately right there and then. But it requires you to go through a journey. It requires you to go through a process of time to transform you. Now, that's exactly what happened to Joseph. Because, church, he was a dreamer. And he was a great dreamer. But friends, even though he was a great dreamer, God had plans for him not to remain as a dreamer. God had plans for him to be transformed, to become a redeemer. You see, every dream that God gives to you and I has a purpose to redeem. To redeem the purpose of God in our life and in the society that we are living in. That's why God wants to transform you and I from a dreamer to a redeemer. That's why God wants to transform Joseph from a dreamer to a redeemer. How many of you can say amen? Now, that's why he was only a dreamer. At a very young age, 
Joseph was a dreamer. And he is a dreamer who needed to wake up from his dreams. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you need to wake up right now listening to the word of God. Amen, right? <laughs> he needed to wake up. <laughs> now, that's why the pit stop, the pit is a wake-up call for Joseph. Is it for you and I as a dreamer and to be transformed to become a redeemer? Sometimes God will allow you to go through a pit stop, a situation, a pit. And this, the, the, the purpose of it is to wake up from your dream. You see, particularly for Joseph, he needed to wake up and he needed to learn to grow up and understand that when God gives you a dream, you need to learn how to work with people to communicate that dream and to fulfill that dream. You see, you cannot think that just because you are a dreamer, you are more superior to others and that others are lesser than you and that they all have to bow down to you and serve you. Just because you have a great dreams for God, that doesn't make everyone must kowtow to you and serve you. See, that's immature thinking. How many of you can say amen? And that is not what a redeemer is all about. See, that's why Joseph, he was a great dreamer. He had great potential in God. But God knows if he stays as a dreamer, he will not become a redeemer. He needed to learn. He needed to wake up from his dreams. And he needed to understand, hey, you are so in heaven, you need to be also in touch with reality. And that's why he needed to wake up. Now, that's why, how do I know that he needed to wake up? You see, because already his brothers didn't like him because of their father's favoritism. That's a clue. You know, if you live life thinking everybody likes you, you are not just in heaven. You are way off in heaven. You are way off out of heaven. Not everybody will like you. How many of you can say amen? You see, nobody, not, not 100% of you will like my preaching. Hallelujah. Amen, right? And I'm cool about that. It's okay. But if I'm a dreamer, I would think 100% of you will love my preaching. And you know what? One day, I will come and I will experience a pit stop, a reality check. That one person will come and write to me and complain to me and say, I don't like your preaching. Now, what is that? That is a rude awakening, right? That is a pit stop. But that is necessary for me so that I can be, always be grounded so that I can always be in touch with reality. How many of you can say amen? That's exactly what God is doing in the life of Joseph. Already his brothers didn't like him because of his father's favoritism. So just imagine how his brothers felt when this annoying little brother came up to them and said, hey guys, guess what man? Last night I dreamt. And guess what the dream was? We were all binding up sheaves of wheat when all of a sudden my sheaf stood upright. And then get this, all your sheaves of wheat gathered around me and start to bow down to me. Cool, huh? <laughs> you see, a few days later, the little spoiled brat says again, guess what? I had another dream, another dream, where the sun, moon, and 11 stars were all bowing down to me. Now church, if you have read the story of Joseph, you know that those dreams really do come from God. They were all prophetic. No doubt, Joseph had a great call of God in his life. Who can say amen? The dreams came from God. And they showed what God planned to do in his life. But the fact that Joseph thought his brothers would be excited about these dreams is our first clue that Joseph was clueless. What is his problem? He had zero EQ. Zero EQ. He is very spiritual, but he had zero EQ. He had very high IQ, but zero EQ. And let me tell you, it's dangerous. You know, I read this statement by this management person, Daniel Goldman. He says this, if your emotional abilities aren't in hand, if you don't have self-awareness, if you are not able to manage your distressing emotions, if you can't have empathy and have effective relationships, relationships, right? Then no matter how smart you are, you are not going to get very far. And God knows it. That if he doesn't wake up 
if he doesn't get in touch with his reality, then he will not go very far. The dreams may be great, but he will not go very far to achieve that dreams. And it's kind of like Joseph was sleepwalking through his life. He was such a dreamer that he didn't even notice the real world around him. Let me tell you, he had no clue that the hostility and the jealousy of his half-brothers was growing into outright murderous hatred. Why? Because he was dreaming too much in heaven. That he became out of touch from the reality of this world. Now church, how many of you know that we are a kingdom-minded person? We are a kingdom-minded church. A kingdom-minded church and a person will pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. Where? Here on earth. As it is in heaven. That means it's not just about being too heavenly-minded until we become of no earthly use. Neither God doesn't want you to become so earthly successful that you are of no heavenly use. You see, a kingdom-minded person is a balanced person. Because balance is the key to life. How many of you can say amen? A kingdom-minded person is both spiritual and also earthly spiritual. And you and I must understand this. Most Christians in church are waiting passively to get caught up into heaven. But a kingdom-minded church brings heaven down to earth. And that's the problem with Joseph. Joseph was going into autopilot mode, thinking that God would just give that dream to him. And the danger is this, he will learn nothing and he will be ill-equipped with all the dangers and the burdens that that dream will bring into his life. And that's why this is my key point for today's sermon. And this is my key point that I want to talk to you about. The key point that I want to tell you this morning is this. One of the distressing and frequent corruptions that works its way into the spiritual life is the loss of connection between who God is and who we are. And that's my point for this morning's sermon. My point, my one point is this, that if you and I are not careful, that there is a disconnection between who God is and who you are. But friends, there is no disconnection. God and you, He lives inside you. He is one together with you. He is both spiritual, but He is also relevant on this earth. How many of you can say amen? And if you and I are not careful, you begin to have a disconnection. And when there is a disconnection, that's where spiritual corruption will enter into your life. And when that corruption enters into your life, there will be a disconnection. And not only you will be irrelevant, you will also be of no heavenly use. That's why, church, don't be too in heaven that you forgot how to live on this earth. How many of you can say amen to that City Harvest Church? You know, and or there are some of you who are so into the world, so worldly, so carnal, that you lost touch with God. And that's what I want to talk to you about today, this morning. Two examples from the life of Joseph and from the life of David. And the first we have talked about just now is through the life of Joseph. You see, Joseph was too heavenly minded that he needed to go through a pit stop. God allows him to go through a pit stop so that reality can sink in, so that he can be in touch with reality. Now, listen, we hear of many examples like that in church. Like for example, we hear of people who are so on fire for the Lord and use the name of God to abruptly quit his job without consulting with his wife or with his children to live by faith. And in the end, leaving his family in desperate hunger or lack. Or maybe some of you who are youth emerge. Youth who forgo study in the name of serving God, in the name of being on fire for God. Stop studying and end up failing every subject and bear a bad testimony in school. And yet, when you talk to them, they are blinded. They are blinded by the fact that they are doing God a favor, thinking that as long as they are pursuing their dreams that God gave to them, God will be pleased and that God is, flesh, is, is forced to bless them miraculously. Like those that quit his job abruptly without praying, 
and thinking that it is on fire, being on fire for God, living by faith. They expect God to send manna from heaven every day. And a student who do not want to study in the name of being on fire for God say, I don't need to study because the Holy Spirit will speak to me the answers. You know what? There is going to be an anointing coming upon me that the moment I enter into the examination hall, suddenly my mind got renewed and I suddenly know everything, all the answers. Let me tell you, friend, if you think like that, God will allow you to go to a pit and you will experience a root awakening because when you get back your results, every result will be F9, 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 F9. Not F1, 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 you know, right? F9, F9, F9. And that will be a root awakening to you. And that's where, when you are disconnected, you begin to question God. You begin to get disappointed with God. But there should not be any no disappointment at all. Because it's a reality check to you. That if you don't study, <laughs> right, you got to combine praying with study. How many of you can say amen to that? Same thing with our life. If you expect God in the name of on fire for the Lord that you quit your job and thinking that God will pay the bills for you, let me tell you, friends, let me tell you, you can be so on fire for the Lord, but your bank account will also be on fire. <laughs> and if you continue to think that way, let me tell you, your house will go into a fire sale. That's how it is. And that's the thing about Joseph. God, at the early age, wanted him to have a reality check. Allow him to go to a pit so that he can wake up from his dreams. Why? Is it because God had nothing better to do and to play along with our life? No, because ultimately, he knows for him to fulfill that dream, he needs to be transformed to become a redeemer. And that's why God needed him to go through a pit so that he not only be a heavenly mode, but he can always be on the ground. Reality check. And he's always becoming a balanced Christian. That's what God wants you to be, a balanced Christian. Come on, let's give God a big round of applause. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's why it took Joseph 11 chapters to finally realize, ah, now finally I see what God is doing in my life. You see, Genesis 50, verse 19 to 20, that's Genesis 37, was the beginning of his life. And Genesis 50, Joseph said to them, don't be afraid, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me. I thought that I enter into a pit, and I thought that God has abandoned me. But no, I realize right now, God meant it for good. Why? In order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. I now realize at an, early, at an early age, I was only but a dreamer, but now I realize all this well. The pit, the bad things that happened to me is God's way to wake me up from my dream and to transform me to become the redeemer as it is today. Come on, let's give Jesus a big round of applause this morning. Come on, how many of you are alive this morning? Hallelujah. Amen. You see, you cannot be a redeemer if you're out of touch from the reality of everyday, ordinary life. And for that to happen, like Joseph, you got to experience some pit stops. Sometimes God allow you to go through a crisis because crises reveal weaknesses in our life. Crises reveal a flawed character that needs to change because talent can bring you to the top, but it is character that will cause you to stay at the top. Crisis will reveal to you probably an irresponsible behavior that needs to be fine-tuned because maturity doesn't come with age. Maturity comes with learning how to accept responsibility or even a blind spot that needs to be realized by you. You need to change your EQ. <laughs> you need to be more relational. You need to learn how to socialize. And at the end of the day, it's all about transforming you to become the person that God wants you to be, to become a redeemer. From a dreamer to a redeemer. And it's always through the pit stops in life. And I tell you, if you today are in a pit, don't worry, pray to God, submit yourself under the hand of the Almighty God like Joseph. 
and ask Him to reveal to you what is His purpose and plan in your life during this moment of, your season, of the season of your life. And as you begin to submit yourself into it, God will work Himself into that crisis and He will take you out of the pit and He will transform you to become the person that God wants you to be, a redeemer for Jesus Christ. Come on, let's give God a big round of applause. Amen. First example, Joseph. Joseph was so heavenly minded, but he is so out of touch from this world. And there is a disconnection. And because there is a disconnection, it's not good. It's not healthy. It will creep in corruption into your spiritual life. It will actually cause you to be disillusioned about God and about your faith. But then there is another spectrum. <laughs> there is another side whereby you are so earthly minded, you are so carnally minded that you lost touch from God. And that is also not good. How many of you can say amen? That is also not good. Because if you are so earthly minded and carnal, let me tell you friends, you will, like what Ecclesiastes say, you will destroy yourself early. So, there are also some of us who are so disconnected from God because we are too much in the world. You know, like an F1 race. So, we're talking about F1 again. Amen, right? Our life is like an F1 race. We are speeding through lives in circles. Do you notice that the F1 race, they are only speeding in circles, right? And they are competing against one another in order to get ahead in life. Now, we call this, you know, like what? You know, if you watch Austin Powers, Dr. Evil, right? Say it, chasing our dreams. Amen, right? <laughs> you know, we ended up chasing our dreams. So, in our pursuit of life, in our pursuit of career, in our pursuit of success, in our pursuit, in our chasing of dreams, like an F1 race, speeding through lives in circles, trying to get ahead of one another, and sometimes... In doing so, we ended up disconnected from God because we are so busy and we are now too caught up in the world. But church, in this race that we run, God also offers a pit stop for you. If you are so busy with the world, God offers a pit stop for you to go to every week so that you can remain connected to God. Who can say amen? And what is the pit stop? The pit stop, it's called the house of God, City Harvest Church. The church. That's why the church is in the middle of a F1 track. Because it's very prophetic. It's very prophetic. Because while you are chasing your dreams, right, you need to, re to be reminded every week you need to come to a pit stop. And the pit stop is right smack in the middle of the circuit. Where? Suntech Convention Center, Level 6, City Harvest Church, 10 a.m. or 5 p.m. every Saturday and Sunday. Give God a big hand. Now, very interesting. The Bible calls the church, right, the sanctuary. Now, I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. And remember again, it is all about you not get disconnected from God. Who can say amen? That's my point that I want to share with you this morning. See, Leviticus 19 verse 30. You shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. In the NLT version, it says, keep my Sabbath days of rest and show reverence toward my sanctuary. I am the Lord. In keeping the Sabbath day, God says, it is important that your Sabbath is not just resting and sleeping and playing, but that the Sabbath must be accompanied with showing reverence to the sanctuary. This means a Sabbath will not be complete without a time with God, a devotion, a connection time with God. Now again, it's written, Deuteronomy 5, 12, 14, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. As the Lord your God has commanded you, six days you shall labor and do all your work. Six days you can chase your dreams. Six days you can pursue your career. But remember the seventh day is a pit stop. 
A Sabbath day to the Lord your God. And how do you do that? Go to the pit stop. Go to the house of God. Go to it. Because the house of God is a pit stop. Now, but I want you to take note that the word that the Bible used here to describe the pit stop in chasing your dreams or the house of God as the word sanctuary. Somebody say with me, sanctuary. Why is it that God offers this pit stop to you and I and call it a sanctuary? Now, God is not gampeng with you coming to church. God is not hard up for you to go to church. How many of you can say amen? That's why if He is hard up for you to go to church, He will make it a commandment and tell you to go to church. But He purposely say and use the term the church as the sanctuary. Somebody say with me again, the sanctuary. Why? You see, a sanctuary does not mean just a holy place. It means a safe place to go to when you are in trouble. It's a refuge. It's like when you pray Psalms 46 verse 1, God is my refuge and my strength, a very present day in times of trouble. That word refuge is the word sanctuary. So when you, when you pray that prayer, you're saying God is my sanctuary. And in my sanctuary, I find God's strength. And that strength will become the grace that I need in the day of my trouble. Why is it that God says that the church, a pit stop, while you are chasing your dreams, and it's called a sanctuary, because God is not harder for you to go to church, but God loves you and He understands that in those six days, while you are chasing your dreams, you will encounter problem, you will encounter crisis, and you will encounter discouragement. You will encounter setback, you will encounter betrayal, and you will encounter low down periods. And that's why God offers this pit stop and call it the sanctuary. Why? So that you can always come here to the house of God to be recharged, to be refreshed, to be refilled again so that you can go back again to the circuit on Monday and start chasing your dreams all over again. Come on, let's give God a big hand. Hallelujah, right? The church is a safe place that you can go to in times of crisis. You go to church not because God is hard up for you to go to church. You go to church because you need to. When you are down and discouraged, you need to go to church. Because from Monday to Saturday, you experience many setbacks. Now, when you go to church, like Joseph in the pit stop, why is it that going to church is so important in times of crisis? Because like Joseph in the pit stop. When you go to church, when you enter into this pit stop, what happened? Christ enters into your crisis and redeems them for His purpose. Come on, let's give God a big hand. Hallelujah. Amen. Take note, it is not a place of elimination of crisis. It doesn't mean you come to church and when you walk out of this place, your crisis immediately will be gone. Poof, just like that. No. But when you come to church, when you are in a crisis, in the sanctuary, there's something great happen. Christ enters into your situation. And He works His way in that situation for your good. He turned it around for your good. He didn't eliminate it. He didn't discard it for you. But He enters into your life, into your crisis, and turn it around for your good, redeems them for His purpose and for your good in Jesus' name. That's the reason why you need to go to church. That's the reason why you need to go to the pit stop every week. Who can say amen? From the life of David. We can see here what happened when David was in crisis. He entered into the sanctuary and over there, God enters into his crisis, turns it around, redeems it for His purpose and for His good. One example is David. You see, church, when you and I look at the life of David, what can we learn from him? I mean, he had great faith in God to defeat Goliath, right? But please remember, he committed a sin that is so gross that in today's modern era, you know what? That legacy of defeating Goliath will be completely washed away or destroyed 
His legacy will be completely destroyed because of that one sin that he committed with Bathsheba. But yet, in the life of David, God still used him and preserved his legacy until today. You see, when you and I begin to look at the life of David, David isn't a person whose actions we are inspired to imitate. But in David, we find someone whom we can relate to in life. He is a person who does life just like you and me, as badly as him, or sometimes worse off than him. <laughs> but yet, what can we learn? In the process of it all, we find someone who doesn't quit and who doesn't withdraw from God. There's one thing about David. He is as normal and ordinary like you and I. He goes through crisis, but he's someone that he doesn't quit, someone who doesn't withdraw from God. In fact, Eugene Peterson in his book, Leap Over the Wall, said it so well. David isn't an ideal life. David is an actual life. It's actual living. <laughs> actual life. Okay, right? So what happened to him? Now, like many of us, as we chase our dreams, we run into crisis. David ran into a big crisis in 1 Samuel chapter 20. Verse 1, David fled from Naive in Ramath and went and said to Jonathan, what have I done? What is my sin? And what is my sin before your father that he seeks my life? What is the crisis that David had? The chosen king now has become a fugitive. He's on a run, escaping death threats from King Saul. You know what? It was his mentor, someone whom he respected. His dreams had brought burdens that are now almost dangerously fatal. But as he was escaping and as he was in a crisis, he went to the house of God. He went to God's sanctuary for protection, for a pit stop. That's the thing. When you are in a crisis, follow David's example. Go to the house of God. Don't withdraw from the house of God. Go through it. Why? Because three things happen in the sanctuary when you enter into it during times of crisis. Look at verse 1 in 1 Samuel 21, verse 1. David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest, the pastor. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said, Why are you alone? How come no one is with you? But David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has ordered me on some business and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. Now, do you notice the first thing that happened when he came back to the house of God in times of crisis was that he met the pastor, Ahimelech. And Ahimelech was his pastor. He knows him since day one. That's why he was surprised. How come you are alone? All this while, as Saul's man, I never see you walking around by yourself. But this time round, how come you come to church all by yourself? Something is wrong. So he asked, like a good pastor who does follow up every week, are you okay? You know what? David lied to him and said, everything is okay. Now, that's the thing. When you come to the house of God, most of us here is like David. I'm like David. The pastor knows who you are. You grew up in church since day one. And then you stop coming for a while. And after a season of not seeing you for 10 years, suddenly you appear in church again, looking haphazard, not looking all right. So as a good pastor, he will ask you, is everything all right? Guess what most answers will be? Everything okay, pastor. Amen, all right? That's the thing. Everything is fine. Now, church, let me tell you this. Why is it that you need to come to the house of God? Because, like David, you know what? You and I, after being so long detached from God, you and I, after being so long disconnected from God, you and I have become professional Christian. You and I become more polished and better in concealing our problems and in our sin. And we come to the sanctuary not to get more religious, but you come to the sanctuary to get real with God, to get connected again to God and to get real with God. How many of you can say amen? When you are in a crisis, you come to the sanctuary. Guess what God will do to you? 
After a week of struggle in life, in church, the first thing that when you come to the house of God, God wants to help you is to deal with the reality of the pain of life and not numb yourself from the pain of life. That's the first thing that the sanctuary will do to you. That when you come to the house of God in crisis, Christ enters into your crisis. And Christ wants to deal the crisis together with you. And He will help you and He give you the grace to deal with the reality of the pain instead of just numbing that pain. And as soon as you acknowledge God in your crisis, He will enter it. He will give you the strength and the grace to deal them again on Monday until it is complete, not to escape or eliminate that crisis completely on your behalf. How many of you can say amen? That's what a pit stop does to you, my friend. Weekly, you enter into the sanctuary, weak, endangered, but you will come out strengthened, equipped to face danger for another day, for another week. That's why we always say this, maybe your problem is as big as an elephant, but how do you eat an elephant? You eat an elephant not just through one bite. And that's what we all want to be. God, in one bite, eliminate the problem. No. How do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? How do you overcome your enormous crisis one day at a time, one week at a time, one weekend at a time? And the more you come back to the house of God, He will give you enough grace to last for one week. You come back, He'll give you another grace to last for another week. Come back again, He will give you another grace to last for the third week. And before you know it, you are stepping nearer to your victory and to your breakthrough and ultimately out of the valley and out of your crisis. Come on, let's give God a big round of applause. Not to eliminate them but to deal with them with courage, to deal with them with reality, face the reality with courage. That's what it is when you come to the house of God because you're so disconnected. But when you come back to God, God will connect you back again to the reality of His grace and of His strength and that you can face the reality of pain again and you can walk through it and ultimately enter into the other side. How many of you can say amen? The second thing that happened to you in the sanctuary when you come in crisis, David in verse 3 says this, Now therefore, Ahimelech, what have you hand? I'm hungry. Give me five loaves of bread in my hand, or whatever can be found. And the priest answered David and said, There is no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread. When David entered into the sanctuary in crisis and in danger, he was hungry. And in desperation, he asked for a word. He asked for a word. You know what, church? Isn't that so with our life? When everything is fine, we do not want to come to church because we think that it is a distraction, it is a waste of time. But when we enter into a crisis, that's where we are desperate for a word. <laughs> so we come back to God. We come back to church. And when we come back to church, why? Because we realize this one thing. Not a thing in this world can satisfy our hunger when we are truly empty. Because all this while, while chasing our dreams, we fill our hunger with eating, drinking, and making merry. All this while, while chasing our dreams, we feel full, not realizing that it's not hunger that we are feeding, but it's actually greed that we are feeding. You see, all this world, when you, are, when you are successful, you're going after wealth. You're going after the crazy rich Asian lifestyle. <laughs> but not realizing that what we are feeding is not our hunger, but it is our greed. That's why Jesus says the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking and making merry. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. What happened when you come to the house of God the pit stop. Do you notice when Joseph was in the pit stop, the Bible said there was no water, there was no food. When there was no water and there was no food, guess what? It creates real hunger within you. You see, when you come to the house of God, successful, full of life, full of blessing, 
You think that you are filled. But when you come to the house of God, let me tell you, when you are reconnected again to God, God will recalibrate your hunger level. And God will create real hunger within you. And you begin to realize it's not about money, it's not about Ferrari, it's not about Lamborghini, it's not about, you know, right, woman, it's not about sex, it's not about anything, but it is about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Real hunger. Greed. This one, real hunger. Come on, give God a big hand. You come to the house of God, you get recalibrated again. And when you get recalibrated again, you will walk out of this place, balanced, knowing what to pursue, hunger or greed. Knowing that the things that you are pursuing, is it for hunger or is it for greed? Listen, church, the sanctuary help us to differentiate what is real hunger or bottomless greed. The holy place sets us apart from what is holy and what is greedy. It sharpens your awareness, your connection with God to know that if you are really hungry or just plain greedy. And you know what Ahimelech said? I have no bread except this one show bread over here. Now guys, do you know that this show bread has been there for one week? Now who would want an one week old gardenia bread? But David, the Bible says, devour it, eat it. But do you notice that it is a one-week-old bread? It means the Word of God today in church is to equip you for one week. But next week, you need to come back again to get fresh bread again from heaven. Today's Word will sustain you for another week of battle. But next week, you're going to come back for fresh Word that will again sustain you for another week. How do you eat an elephant? A bite at a time, a day at a time, a week at a time. One word at a time. Every word is enough to sustain you for another week, another week, and getting closer to your victory and to your breakthrough and overcoming your crisis. Come on, give God a big round of applause. That's why I want to quote this verse. We know this verse. Jesus said, man shall not, shall not live by bread alone. But you and I forgot that this verse, the whole context comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. And it is so apt in wanting to point out what I'm speaking to you today. Deuteronomy 8 verse 3. So he humbled you. He allowed you to hunger. He allowed you to go to a pit stop. Why? So that you and I can understand and differentiate. Fed you with manner which you did not know or did your fathers know. That he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone. By money alone by Lamborghini alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God found in the sanctuary of the heavenly. Come on, give God a big round of applause. Hallelujah. Amen. Last but not least, can I have the musicians to come up here just to ease your anxiety? Hallelujah. Amen, right? You know, it's F1 race. I know you guys are saying, Pastor, preach faster. 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 Amen, right? The third thing, David asked for in the sanctuary was a weapon. 1 Samuel 21 verse 8, David said to Ahimelech, is that not here a hand or a spear or a sword? For I have brought neither my sword nor my weapons with me because the king's business required haste. You know what? In crisis, you are defenseless. In crisis, you lost your weapon of warfare. You have nothing to keep you alive for victory. But you know what? When he asked that to his pastor, Ahimelech, his pastor, Instead of giving him a new weapon, Ahimelech pointed him back, reminded him to a sword that is hanging on a wall in the church. He said this, verse 9. The priest said, look, the sword of Goliath, the Philistine whom you killed in the valley of Elah. There it is, wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you will take that, for there is no other except that one here, and David said, there is none like it. I will take it. You know what, church? In searching for a new weapon, Ahimelech pointed David back, reminded him of the sword that he used to defeat Goliath. He said what? Do you remember 
this is the trophy of war that you brought back from defeating Goliath. You know what, church? A sword is like God's word expressed through prayer. How many of you can say amen? Just like how when we first started like David, when we first started in church, we are nobody, we have nothing in our hands. But then God began to teach us to use the weapon of our warfare, to pray. And when we started to pray, we begin to realize when we pray, God moves the heaven and earth for you and I. And when you pray, something changed within you. You were a nobody, but when you started to pray, suddenly God opens the windows of heaven over your life, pour out blessing upon you. You were a nobody, but today, because of prayers, God begin to bless you. And you are now successful. You are now chasing your dreams. But in chasing our dreams, sometimes we get disconnected from God. And you forgot that weapon. What happened? Once, as a trophy of war, is now a museum piece on the walls of church. A decoration piece that you use at home. Prayer used to become, used to be your weapons of warfare. But now, it has become a relic on church's decoration wall. Put there for tourists to come to see every time you and I join Pastor Chuang's Israel tour annually. Hallelujah. Amen, right? Oh man, look at this beautiful sword on the, on the wall. Goliath's sword. Church, can I remind you, prayer is not a decoration piece. Prayer is our weapon of warfare. When you come back to the house of God in sanctuary, when you are in crisis, God will remind you, you can start praying again. And when you start praying again, you know what? When David began to start picking up the sword again and to pray, you know what the Bible says? He said this, Ah, there is none like it. I will take it. You know, it's like when you are a badminton player. And how, I mean, I, was, I used to be a badminton player. When you play badminton until your lungs collapse, until your hearts begin to detach from your body, you will take a pit stop, you will take a break. And in that break, you begin to buy from the canteen Coca-Cola. And in Coca-Cola, what do you do? You add with salt. And when you add salt into the Coca-Cola and you drink the Coca-Cola with salt, you know what? When the moment you drink it, you will surely say the same thing like David. Ah, there is none like it. <laughs> ah. And guess what? Usually after you drink that Coca-Cola with salt, and when you say, ah, there is none like it, suddenly that Coca-Cola give you a second win to go back again to the court and trash that opponent till kingdom come. Hallelujah, right? You see, that's what happened to David. He was defenseless. But when you came back to the house of God, when he experienced prayer, suddenly he got reminded again the prayer. He got laid hands. The anointing of God came upon him and he said, ah, there is none like it. I need to come back to pray again. And when I start praying again, I leave this place equipped to face the danger for another week. Hallelujah. Amen. That's why you need to go to the pit stop. Church, it is a source of our faith and trust in God that will be renewed. David came to the house of God in crisis, weak in faith, but his feeble faith was injected with fresh anointing. And from being battle-weary, he came out of the sanctuary, battle-ready to face another week of challenges. Another week, another step, nearer to my victory and to my breakthrough. How do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, one day at a time, one week at a time. And every time, it gets closer and closer to my day of victory and breakthrough. And all the people of God say... Let's give Jesus a big round of applause. Hallelujah. Amen. Why don't we all stand up on our feet this morning? How many of you are blessed today in the house of God? You know what, church? The point that I want to make is this. Don't let corruption enter into your spiritual life because of a disconnection. 
A disconnection happens when you are so too heavenly minded, but out of touch with reality. But another disconnection also happens when you are so into this world, chasing your dreams, that you disconnect yourself from God. But for both circumstances, God offers a pit stop for you to go into. And particularly for this one, God offers the church as a pit stop that you can go to every week. You know what? In a pit stop in the church, let me tell you, you come, you enter in crisis, but you walk out renewed, recharged, refreshed, ready to face another week of battle. And you are going to be equipped for battle. You are going to be recharged. You enter, you're going to live full with breath, equipped with a new sort of weapon of warfare. That's what God wants to do to you this morning. Come on, let's give Jesus one more big round of applause. Hallelujah. Amen. You know what song, church? We're going to sing this song from the beginning. And this song says, I cannot forget, I still remember the place that you found me and I surrendered. This is the place. And in this place, His grace will cover me and He will see all to my needs. How many of you can say amen? If today you are in the midst of a crisis, you are in the right place at the right time. Because this is the place that God wants you to be. He wants to enter into your crisis, redeems them for His purpose and for your good. If that is you, I want you to lift up your hands to heaven. Just begin to worship the Lord this morning. That's right. Let's begin to pray in the Spirit. Everybody, shoot. That's right. I want you to lift up your hands. And I want you to submit yourself. And I want you to surrender yourself to God. And say, Lord, enter into my crisis. Enter into my doubt. Enter into my situation. Redeem my crisis for your purpose and for my good. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Let's sing this song. I can forget. I still remember the place you found me. And I surrender. When your grace covered my shame and saw my need. Yes, you are. You gave me hope, hope and a future. My heart is yours, now and forever. I am loved, only because you first loved me. God wants to equip you and God wants to equip you with His weapon of warfare and that is a prayer. You know what? Today, 
Maybe you're going through a crisis so big. But friends, today there is nothing too big for the kingdom of God, for God to solve in Jesus' name. And today, I just sense in my heart that God wants to encourage you. And God wants to tell you that His grace is more than sufficient for you. Every week, every day, as you begin to go through it, it's always one step closer to your victory, one step closer to your breakthrough. But today I just sense in my heart that God wants to pour out His grace upon you. God wants to pour out His anointing upon you, strengthen you in Jesus' name. If that is you, I want you to lift up your hands to heaven. And when God, and when I see the hand, I want to pray for you. That's right, Lord, you see those hands that are lifted up. So many, so many, so many, so many, so many. I want you to say this prayer together with me. Say it out loud in unison and in faith. Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus I come to the sanctuary. I come to the sanctuary. Weak. In crisis. in crisis. My problems can be big. My problems can be big. But today, but today I surrender them all to you. I surrender them all to you. Jesus, Jesus enter, into my crisis. enter into my crisis. Redeem it. Redeem it. For your purpose. For your purpose. And for my good. And Right now, right now, I don't feel so good. But I trust you. Give me the grace, Give me the grace and, the strength, and the strength so that I can walk out of this place. Recharge, renew, encourage from battle weary to right now battle ready. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Now I want you to pray in the Holy Ghost for the next 30 seconds. Let prayer come upon you. Strengthen you. Recharge you. Renew you. That's right. Pray, pray, pray. Father, let the Holy Spirit fall. Carry us through. Carry us through. Do a miracle. Do a miracle that we cannot do in Jesus' name. Give us the grace and the strength. Hallelujah. Sing nothing can tear me away. Nothing can tear me away speaking back to you to us and to you I love you more I love you more and when I love you more I will do everything you and I will I want to enter into your crisis I want to redeem them for you for my purpose and for your good all you need to do this evening this morning just surrender and give it all to Jesus that's where the sanctuary give us the grace and the power so father we thank you Lord I pray for each and every single one of us here in this place Everyone will walk out, recharge, renewed, refresh. Father, we're empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, I pray that every single one of us in this place, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, love of the Father and the communion of the Holy Spirit be upon you to strengthen you and to give you the grace enough 
to last through the days and through the week but each day one step closer to victory and breakthrough so father we thank you and we praise you we bless every single one of us in jesus name we pray and everybody say let's give jesus a big round of applause hallelujah amen hallelujah amen so guys Let's stay connected to Jesus. Let's stay connected with one another. I pray that this week is going to be another week of your breakthrough and of your victory. God bless you. Have a wonderful and enjoy the F1 weekend. And thank you know what? God bless you. And let's pray. Sebastian Battle will win tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. Thank you. God bless you. Amen. And that's the end of this week's podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Email us at connect at chc.org.sg.